Tuning in now to the LBX Daily Show. Brought to you by the LBX Collective. Your community to connect, engage, and inspire. Now, let's get ready to roll. With your hosts, Christine Buer and Brandon Wiley. Hello, hello, everyone. (laughs) Here we are. I know. Another day. One day closer to Halloween. Uh, yes, I'm. Uh, I'm actually excited about Halloween. I'm, I'm excited. Just my my son's actually not going to be trick or treating for the first time. He's like said, "Hey, I'm 16. I'm not going to trick or treat." So he's going to be hanging out. And just as an aside, I know we, we didn't think about talking about this, but <laughs> he's he's such a dork. He he uh, his, his his English teacher um, has decided that she was going to get rid of a bunch of AP English books and recycle them. Uh, but he actually asked if he could take them all. And so in two sets, we now have like 30 AP English books sitting at home. And I was like, Colin, what are you doing with these? And he said, I'm going to give them out for, Hall- for Halloween, trick-or-treaters. Oh so he's like, gosh. so people are going to come. He's like, hey, you want some candy? Here's an AP English book. So it's like this whole bit he's going to do. So Ed- educating, anyway. the, educating the world one trick-or-treater at a time. Boy, yes, Colin. exactly. <laughs> exactly. <okay>. So <laughs> love it. I love it. All right. Yeah. Well, Speaking of books, um, the Guinness book. Yeah. What's that? The Guinness book. Nope. Okay. All right. I see the transition. Okay. That's good. That's good. Uh, sorry, I didn't pick up on it. Um, yeah. So it actually is a sad day uh, because Bobby the dog, I'm going to pull him up here and his owner, Leonel Costa. Um, Bobby the dog died over the weekend in a veterinarian hospital. He's from Portugal. And he was, according to Guinness Book of World Records, certified the oldest living dog and the oldest dog ever on record. He died at 31 years old and 165 days. And when you get to 31 years old, the 165 days matters. So it's like, you know, truly. So he lived to be basically 217 dog years, uh, which is unbelievable. He, uh, his owner basically credits the fact that Bobby was never been on a leash he got to wander around free on a big on a farm in Portugal. He ate whatever his owners ate and whatever they ate, and just got to be a happy dog his whole life. And uh, so his owner got him when he was eight years old back in 1992. So imagine, like, basically the dude's almost you know a little younger than me, but like basically has had this dog his whole entire life. And um, I can't imagine losing a companion like that. It's hard enough when you lose your dog after 10 or 14 oh, years, yeah. but uh, for basically your whole life. Uh, but anyway, just uh, rest in peace, Bobby. I'm glad you had a great life and that you uh, brought your owner uh, a lot of love as well. Yeah, he looks so adorable. And he doesn't even look that old in this picture. Like, I'm trying to find the gray hair. You know what I mean? You'd think his whole body would be gray hair. I know. So, something miraculous. I found some- yeah, I found some other pictures too that showed him like from like a top view, and he like looked a little bit like disheveled. You know, you could tell like he probably had some bone issues and stuff by the end. But uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, he looks just like a happy dog all the way through the end of his life. Ah, awesome, awesome. So yeah. um, so speaking of happy and fun things, and what what's going on over there? Like you're in a suit jacket. What the heck? <laughs> I know. I know. I like never. I never wear a you know, no. little you know sports coat or whatever. Like it's like and I'll actually be in a full on suit tomorrow. So. I am in, I'm in DC. I'm here for the IAPA Public Affairs Conference, and uh, you know it's a two day conference. And so far, it's been great. Today was the first day. We had a number of different sessions where we just learned about different issues that the attractions industry is dealing with, and that we're trying to uh, collectively lobby 
through IAPA's own lobbying efforts in the U.S., uh, but then also through some of the larger parks and attractions, Disney, Universal, uh, SeaWorld. They all have their, their, big, their main lobbyists here as well. And uh, you know, there's a couple of things, and, and you know, I'll talk about a few of the things that we're looking at. Um, we also had a couple of uh, congressmen come in to talk with us as well to share what they're trying to do for the attractions industry and just the, the, uh, the business and commerce industry and the travel and tourism industry in general. And, um, you know, and so tomorrow there's a couple of key issues that we're uh, really trying to address. And so one of them is just on, uh, on OSHA, there's a, a push through OSHA to um, have a heat law. Like, so basically uh, limit the amount of heat exposure that somebody can, and a worker can be exposed to in extreme heat. And this comes out of California where obviously they've experienced a lot of heat, but they're also maybe a little bit more sensitive to some of these things. And so, you know, this is, uh, you know, leading the OSHA efforts. And so obviously there's some elements of that for some of the outdoor parks that they're trying to push back on some of those things. Um, you know, one of the things that actually was true is that uh, because even getting into your car after you've worked, it would technically the heat inside of your car is over the temperature threshold that somebody would be allowed to be in, that they were, they were saying that some of these parks have to pay for, would have to pay to put auto starts into the cars to cool the car down before the, the employee gets in. So now we're just getting to like absurd land. And this is just getting to the fact that just get in your hot fucking car, right? Like just go home and get into your car. Like we all have to do it. I live in Arizona. I've lived with a hot car my entire life. Every time I get in, if it's parked outside for 15 minutes. So, um, and I don't have to, I don't complain about it. Right. So um, anyway, so that's one of the issues that we're dealing with. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that, just I have to, I have to put a little comment in there, is that I, I get it, and I'm kind of like uh, the same opinion. Like, put on your big boy pants, and like, you know, just this is what life is about. You got to do it. But um, I know when we operated our go kart track, and it's not usually that hot here, but in the middle of summer, and those kids were out there on that asphalt and the go karts, and you're smelling gas all day. Like it was, it was pretty brutal. Like it was hard. Yeah. And we had to be really cautious of that. But I would never have given them a remote car starter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that, and that's fair, and, and there are different, and so this is this is the other thing. Like, there's nuance to this law, right? Or there should be nuance to this law, and there isn't, right? The law is just a blunt hammer, and that's what they're trying to. They're not trying to say that this is an issue that shouldn't be addressed. They're trying to say that this is an issue that shouldn't be addressed. Carte blanche, and, yeah. and because there's different heat tolerances. Somebody who grows up as a native in Arizona, um, sure. like in, 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 in the Phoenix area specifically. 110 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like, okay, let's just go outside and like walk around and barefoot. We used to run around barefoot in the asphalt as a kid and like burn our feet and think it was funny and jump on the grass. Like, so there's just different heat thresholds versus somebody who's, you know, in the Northeast or something like that. So understand. And that's, that's the the point is that it can't be a blunt hammer used across the entire industry. Um, So that's one area. Um, Another one is just, just trying to boost workforce, uh, workforce growth in general. So through training, but also primarily through visas. So just loosening the visa restrictions, especially J-1B um, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and some of those, especially like the summer work travel program, streamlining that, smooth, uh, smoothing it out and increasing the cap. There's a number of caps. There's a cap on the number of visas allowed to allow these, these temporary workers to come in during high seasonal periods. So that's another area. One I thought was really interesting, too, was um, talking about drones. And it makes total sense. So there's, so there actually did get some legislation into the latest FAA uh, regulations that were just approved. Um, but there's, there's some, there's some aspects to make sure that those the regulations actually get implemented in, in, when they're supposed to in March. And basically, what that does is it restricts airspace over 
amusement parks and other attractions because it's actually a, a, a safety hazard. And yeah, you don't think about this, but it, but it definitely is. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I think that makes a heck of a lot of sense with the amount of drones that they're going to start putting out there for deliveries and all the other things that they're doing with them. Well, even um, there's those drone camera things that you can get with your iPhone now and the drone will follow you around and take pictures of you, which is super cool. But I mean, I could see that becoming an issue. Yeah, yeah. And actually, there was a very specific UA, um, UAS, UAV issue um, at... Uh, at Maurice Piers, actually, that just happened where it, oh. nobody was nobody was injured, but it, uh, somebody was flying a drone and it flew into a ride, uh, actually flew into a traction mm. and could have been a real severe injury issue. So, I mean, imagine yeah. you're moving at, a you know, 100 miles an hour on a roller coaster or even 50 miles an hour on a roller coaster and oh, a drone yeah. flies right in your face. I mean, that's that's, you know, you're you're oh, seriously yeah. injured if you're not if not dead. Right. I mean, that's yeah. a real yeah. issue. So um, so there's just a few of the things that we're talking about. So we're going to be on Capitol Hill tomorrow meeting with each of our independents. Um, so we're all split up tomorrow. And so I'll be meeting with uh, the two Arizona senators and their legislative staff, uh, as well as my district congressperson um, and, and his legislative aides um, as well to talk about some of these. But um, what I noticed in the, the fact that there were three congresspeople that were here um, today, their perspective on the global attractions industry and on the U.S. attractions industry is very specifically limited to cultural venues and amusement parks and theme parks. Like they think of the attractions industry as that, like the Disney's, the SeaWorlds, Universal's, the Knots, the Bush Gardens, the Cedar Fairs of the world. And then all of your zoos, museums, and aquariums, like that's what they think of when they think of uh, attractions. They, they're like, it's zero on their radar, like zero level on their radar. Um, about the location-based entertainment industry. And so I know for sure on my end, when I spend time with, with Arizona, uh, Arizona senators and, and congresspeople tomorrow, uh, my goal is to just educate them on the LBE industry and why it's important to support them alongside yeah. the larger attractions, especially since Arizona doesn't have, other than some cultural institutions, doesn't have larger attractions with the exception of Mattel Adventure Park opening up mm-hmm. um, and castles and coasters, whatever the hell that is. So, um, you know, it really is uh, not focused on the mom and pop, small business, local FEC that when people come in for tourism into the state, those people typically are also going to those things. Like they're going to those other places. And so it's important for them to understand that this is part of, we're part of that larger attractions ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, it's good. It sounds like you're doing some good work for um, everybody there. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I, I mean, this is something for us to consider, right? I mean, as we as we you know grow our community, you know, what are we doing to potentially raise awareness for the local, you know, the location based experience and entertainment industry, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, basically, yeah, raise the awareness uh, and understanding of how this industry uh, is that can impact the local community and and you know people who start these things as small business owners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Yep. No, it's good work. That's great. It's awesome. And it's great. And you're there with IAPA, right? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, I'm here with IAPA. And look, I mean, IAPA is other than like the, the heat related issue, but even that it affects some outdoor parks, you know, some outdoor FECs, um, they really are doing a good job trying to be inclusive with regards to things they're pushing across the board. So yeah, I definitely am not getting a feeling that uh, the LBE industry is being left out by, by IAPA. It's just a perception issue. Um, and that's something we need to, to work on and, and get better at uh, from awesome. externally. 
Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. <laughs> and fun times. It's great being in Washington yeah. and getting to do all those things. It's a super cool place. So, yeah. Yeah. It um, is. So I see you're sipping on a drink there. I wonder how much you paid for that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So what's great about this is um, this is a poor man's Negroni. So, you know, it's, or, or a traveler's Negroni. Maybe I'll call it that. A traveler's Negroni. And it's, I, I paid whatever I paid at Total Wine to buy a little bottle of Campari, a little bottle of Sweet Vermouth, yeah. and a little bottle of gin, mix it all together in a glass. And now I've got a Negroni. I didn't have to spend $15, $20 on the, the yep. you know, hotel bar for this. Um, yeah. But you know what I also didn't have to do uh-huh. um, is, uh, is have a decreased heart rate. Right. I know. And that was my point. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys have heard that this is the coolest. Well, is it the coolest or it's like, you need to be chill. It's unique. I don't know. You need yeah. To get, yeah. Super chill. So, um, Kraken rum has partnered up with, um, a group out of, um, a recreational fear lab. That's who it is. Um, <laughs> in the UK and they have created this really cool Halloween horror experience. And I'll just kind of share a little picture of it here. Um, what they've done is they've created this kind of a uh, walk through maze that you go through and what they're doing is slapping a heart rate monitor onto you. Um, and you go through these catacombs, it's all decorated up with spooky, scary Halloween stuff. And at the end of the experience, you land in a bar called the beast. And if you go through the experience without getting your heart rate elevated, your drinks at this bar are cheaper than if you got scared and your heart rate got elevated. So I thought, wow, what a coup cool, cool, cool thing to kind of test out and try. Now, um, this is what they said. Um, An increase in heart rate is among the most well-known physiological indicators of fear. And research has identified a range of stimuli that reliably induces fear in the average person. It is this knowledge that hosts of ScreamFest have used and, and devised an event designed to heighten fear and by extension, heart rate. Hearts don't lie, even in the presence of masking smiles. And so what they've done is they've really done a good job of trying to find those things that scare everybody to get your heart raised, whether you are showing it on the outside or not. And I know Brandon's a big, uh, actually, I'll let you jump in and tell everybody. But here, I'm going to flip through some pictures of the catacombs here where you can see this is taking place. It was, the catacombs were actually a jail um, where they kept prisoners at one point. So it's kind of spooky. I'm sure there was kind of some dust down there and lots of people died. So um, and then you kind of get a little picture. Are you sure you're not too scared here, Brandon, <laughs> of this gas? ghostly ghostly person and a picture of the heart rate monitor. So there's going to be no fooling anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this uh, looks, it looks awesome. First of all, like how, how terrible is it that that was actually a real prison at one point? It's like yeah. we really treated humans terribly. Oh. We probably still do yeah. in some parts of the world. Um, but that's like, that's like really, really terrible. Like, um, but anyway, uh, no, this, I think it's, I think it's great. And I would actually love to go through this because um, I have historically told everybody that um, that I'm the worst person to go to a haunted house with because I don't get scared um, because it's like I, I come in walking and knowing it's fiction and like fiction just I just don't I just doesn't get to me um, and and I end up getting drawn in by the theming and everything else so I'd actually love to, to go through this one because they seem to think that they've really narrowed it down to like reliably induce fear in people and everybody yeah. um, and then two just like see okay maybe I'm like like. Uh, consciously not afraid, but like subconsciously my body is elevating its heart rate. And I think it'd be super cool to try it out and mm-hmm. see if I really am as impervious to this type of attraction. I mean, I, I actually wish I wasn't, I wish I could get into haunted houses. Um, <laughs> and so this might be the one I can finally get into. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. We will see um, if they ever come. Either way, uh, drinks are on me. By the way, you know? yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, and and the, the the producers of this said that don't worry too much, don't get too afraid because drinks won't be more than seven pounds. What is that? Fourteen dollars, regardless. Um, which sounds about reasonable if you're getting a good cocktail, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I went online to find out actually how much it was to actually go to this, but um, the event's completely sold out, so you can't even get a ticket. You can only get onto the waiting list, which is pretty yeah. cool. So it must be drawn you know people are attracted to it they think it's awesome i think it's a really 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 unique uh unique concept so that's super cool that they're doing that mm-hmm. um all right so another thing that's maybe not super cool is that uh, tilt studios has just recently opened up their new family fun center so tilt studios multi-location brand and they've opened up their new center in kirkwood mall they're typically attached to a mall in fact there's a tilt studio right down the street from my house and uh, they're a, uh, they basically just do arcades. You've added some mini bowling now and that's a mediocre F and B. Um, but this one happens to have 90,000 square feet, um, facility houses, a go-kart track, mini bowling, two 18 hole mini golf courses and over 100 arcade games. Uh, now the key is that Kirkwood mall is in Bismarck, North Dakota. And if you've ever visited North Dakota, wait, you haven't visited North Dakota. Oh, that's because nobody does. Um, but if you've ever visited North Dakota, and I have a good friend from Fargo, so um, you know, apologize to, to, for the North Dakota joke. But um, Bismarck has 74,000 people as a population, like, which means that maybe, max, they're going to, they're, they're, their total audience segment for a 90,000 square foot facility is maybe 30,000 people, max. <laughs> and this is not a population that's growing or expanding or like that recycles in and out very frequently. Like this is a population that is maxed. And so I just don't understand what they're doing, putting a 90,000 square foot facility in a population center that is 74,000 people strong. Yeah. The, the only thing that I can equate this or think that like reasonably makes sense here is it's got like a golf course. It's not to like the seventh owner buys it that they become profitable because they bought it for so cheap. So maybe they got everything super cheap and it doesn't matter or two, they're using it to launder money, which makes a lot of sense. I think that's what they do a lot of that in North Dakota, don't they? So <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to say, I don't know. I don't know. My, my friend's sister runs a very reputable uh, salon up there and she um, does very well for herself and her family. So, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but that's in Fargo, you know, maybe they do things different in Bismarck. I don't know. Yeah, he'll like Fargo's a bit different. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, well, I mean, again, I'll just close this this little this little rant with just the fact that this is why Tilt Studio parent company's brand name is Nickels and Dimes. There's uh, still this old worldview, and um, I feel like just not still just trying to figure out what the hell they're doing. Mm-hmm, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, so, okay. Jumping to the next thing quickly (laughs) and then we'll transition out here, but, um, I've been doing a presentation. I've been building a presentation out for rookies around IP and franchising that we're going to be having, um, you know, in a couple of weeks here. And what was really interesting that caught my attention the other day was this article that Beijing is opening up the biggest theme cluster of FECs in Asia or probably the world, frankly. And they've created partnerships with Hasbro, Mattel, Crayola and Wild Brain. Um, now Wild Brain, for those of you that don't know, they're, they bring some of our favorite kids stuff to us. So like strawberry shortcake, Teletubbies, peanuts, you know, just to name a few. I think, um, I think they grew opening... behind Peppa Pig as well. I think there's, I think I saw Peppa Pig there too. Yeah. yeah. And Pe- no, well, Peppa Pig is Mattel. Uh, it's Hasbro. Oh, oh no. You know what? That's a great, I'm not sure who Peppa Pig is. I'm going to have to look into that. And I, it's just not coming to me off the top of my head right now. Um, but um 
anyway, they're going to be opening this up 2026, um, 750,000 square feet, which, um, holy moly, I, that's massive. I'm trying to equate that to what that would, what, what would, what would the size of that be in something like how many football fields? Oh, I don't know. I should know that actually, but I don't, I don't know what that would be in football fields. Uh, yeah. a fuck ton. Um, yeah. and like, like architecturally this building looks amazing. Um, well, it looks like I mean, it should be like some super modern, ultra modern university or something like that. But like, sure. this just looks like, like China said, we don't know what to build. So we're just going to barf as much IP into one plot <laughs> totally. of land as possible. I- I think China's just like, we like cute things. Let's put everything cute that we can put into here. I'm sure there'll be lots of dog grooming salons and puppies in your pocket and all that kind of stuff that's going to go in this mall, this mall as well, right? Um, so far, they've confirmed, though, that they're doing a Crayola family experience, Peppa Pig ice and snow land. Don't know what that means. Um, Hasbro is going to put My Little Pony Nerf and Potato Head in there, which, my gosh, who doesn't love a good Potato Head and My Little Pony? Like, I grew up on those things. Those are amazing. And then... The Wild Brain IP is going to be Peanuts, um, uh, Teletubbies, and In the Night Garden, which is a really cute little kid's show. So, um, I mean, my gosh, I mean, it's going to be a spectacle, though. I think it's going to be really cool to kind of go check out one day. Uh, Spectacle is a good word for it. I I mean, look, it'll be fun. I'm sure it'll generate a fuck ton of revenue. Um, And I realize I've just said that too many times. Um, But um, what are we going to have to wash your mouth out with soap? I know, I know. But I'm just, I'm just, it's too much IP. I think it's too much IP in one place. It looks like something that, uh, you know, people who weren't creative enough just decided to go and grab as much IP as possible. It's one thing to like leverage, you know, you want to do a peanuts park. That's fine, but let's do a peanuts park and a Peppa pig and a my little pony and a potato head. And like, let's just throw everything we possibly can. That's about that's American and, and put it in one location. You know what? It might work for them. You know, it's not the no, U.S. might not work yeah. in the U.S., but for them, it might work. You know, they're trying to use it to draw tourism into Beijing. And boy, we are going long. So we'll wrap this up at this point. But we have thoughts and feelings around this. <laughs> yes. All right. I'll be Xers. Okay. Cheers. Yeah. Have fun. Stay tuned. <laughs> have a good time. Keep kicking ass. Bye.